0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Wherever you live, wherever you garden, at some point in the year, your plants are going to get aphids. This sucking insect enjoys the sap from many of your favorite plants, including vegetables, fruits, flowers, shrubs, and trees. Aphids can also spread plant diseases. Oh yeah, and they also attract ants. What do the ants want? Well, they covet the sweet excretions of the aphids. We have tips for controlling this widespread garden pest, aphids. Record-breaking temperatures persist through much of the northern hemisphere this summer. How are your backyard chickens doing with the heat? We have strategies for helping your roosters, hens, and chicks cope with triple-digit heat this summer. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutalon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Podcast, brought to you today by SmartPots, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. If there's one garden problem that just about every gardener complains about, it's aphids. They're out in spring, summer, and if you live in a nice place, fall and winter, too. Aphids are sucking insects. They can reproduce without mating. They produce a sticky mess, and they attract ants. And plus, they can suck the life out of your plant and vector diseases as well. They are not a good guy. I don't know of any socially redeeming value of aphids. Well, I take that back. (laughs) Maybe... Our guest, America's favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, might say something nice
1: about aphids. She always has something nice to say about everything. Yeah. They're food for other insects. The insects that we call the beneficials are the natural enemies. They eat aphids. And not only
0: that, but they also serve as uh, little homes for brand new beneficial
1: insects, too. And those beneficials lay their eggs in the aphids. Lay their eggs in the aphids. And then when the eggs hatch, they eat the aphid from the inside out. Well, obviously, then uh, we are
0: arriving at the point where we can probably say with a good deal of certainty that if you spray for aphids with a non-discriminating chemical spray,
1: you're going to be killing off the good guys. Yes. The good guys seek out the aphids. The lady beetles seek them out. The lace wings, the soldier beetles, the wasps, the little tiny wasps, not the ones that bite humans. They're so small, y- you really have to know what you're looking for to see them. So don't worry about those wasps but all of those are around those aphids and among the aphids and maybe even inside the aphids and if you spray to kill the aphids you you spray to kill those as well. And that's a bad thing to do to your garden.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about aphids. People probably notice them most in the spring when they are, especially on roses, you'll see them right near the tips going after the new buds.
1: And they like uh, tender young growth, don't they? They love young growth. That's it's the easiest. They're a sucking insect. So they have to take their mouth parts and puncture the plant. And then that releases. They have to get into the vascular system of the plant and get the liquids out of the plant. And that's what they survive on. And so it's much easier to puncture a very young growth piece than it is to puncture an older one.
0: I believe it was you who explained to us that uh, aphids and other sucking insects really don't suck. They just sort of poke a hole (laughs) and the pressure from inside the leaf basically forces the sap in the leaf
1: into the aphid. Right. They have a plumbing inside of their body that allows what, what they can handle for food to go into their stomach and be digested and used for food. But the extra that they is too much for them, comes out the other end. And that's what we call the honeydew or those drops you get on your windshield or the sticky stuff, dark part on the sidewalk under a tree. That's called honeydew. And that's the excess plant sap that has gone through an insect's stomach.
0: And aphids come in a wide variety of colors. Too. Oh, they sure do. They every, like to blend in. Almost every color in the rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, other things that you will notice along with aphids is their relationship with ants.
1: Yes. Ants like that honeydew that comes out of the aphid. It's nice and sweet. It's a nice source. Uh, they don't have to work very hard for it. So the ants will hang around the aphids and they will herd the aphids, keep them together. They'll collect the honeydew out of the aphids, butt, and they will ward off the beneficial or natural enemies that come to uh, feed on the aphids. In a lot of situations, if you can control the ants, you can control the aphids. Yes, very much so. Controlling the ants controls the aphids in many, many situations. One of the easiest
0: ways I know to control aphid populations is just a blast of water from the hose, wash them off the
1: plant, and they don't tend to get back on. Right. Once they're knocked off, they have little legs. (laughs) It's a long trip. Some do fly. Eventually, if there's a lot of aphids on the plant, they will produce a population that flies so that they can go somewhere else. But a, a very strong stream like fire hose strong, not really, don't call the fire company, but just to give you an idea of strong, really strong stream of water. On the aphids, will in if it's strong enough, it'll actually squash their little bodies, but it knocks them off, knocks their feeding parts out of the plant, knocks them off, and they generally do not get back up.
0: Well, all of America now wants to know, okay, that strong blast of water, how strong can it be without damaging the plant? <laughs> Depends on the plant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You'll have to experiment. Another way that I have used to control, particularly on a honeysuckle I had, the new growth was so covered with aphids that the new growth looked gray instead of the green of the leaves of the honeysuckle. And so I just clipped off that new growth that was so heavily infested and dumped it into soapy water. Soapy water is a good way to kill a lot of insects because insects breathe through their skin. And when it gets soap on it, that mucks up that system.
0: Yeah, insecticidal soap is good for a lot of the the garden bad guys with
1: minimal damage to the good guys, unless the good guys are there. Right. If you touch the good guys, insecticidal soap and another type of pesticide often recommended for aphids and other insects is oils, horticultural oils, not your home vegetable oil. But they both work by covering the insect's breathing apparatus, which, as I said, is through their skin. So that uh, kills them. But if the lady beetles are there and get hit, the beetles themselves, the adult beetles probably wouldn't be there because they fly. Same with uh, wings and soldier beetles. But with wings and lady beetles, their larvae don't have wings. And so if their larvae were there, that you potentially would kill them if they got coated in the pesticide as well.
0: And know those larval stages of the garden good guys, too. We'll have a link in today's show notes of what some of the good guys look like when they're just teenagers, especially mm-hmm. the ladybugs that don't look anything like an adult ladybug. The teenager, younger ladybug, I always like to say it looks like an alligator in a San Francisco Giants warm-up jacket. Yeah. It's black and orange.
1: Yes. They're pretty odd looking. And the, the lace wing ones, they call them aphid lions, so another similarly kind of ugly looking one, not in a San Francisco giant's coat, but different colors tan, but they're not pretty. And people look at them and say, what is that? And they're ready to kill it. Don't be ready to kill those.
0: Exactly. Uh, Again, a
1: blast of water on aphids can
0: help control them. Not only are they a sucking insect taking the life out of the plant, but they can vector diseases as well.
1: Yes, they can. That's how some uh, viruses in particular are carried from plant to plant, because the viruses travel in the sap. The aphid picks it up from one plant and takes it to another where it feeds again.
0: But I wouldn't let a few aphids put me in a panic. I would give time for the good guys to uh, do a job.
1: Right. In IPM, Integrated Pest Management, there are steps you go through. And one is to prevent the aphids getting into your landscape. So don't use a lot of fertilizer. So you don't have a lot of young, soft tissue. If you bring home a new plant, check it before you mingle it with the other plants, whether they're house plants or outdoor plants or vegetable plants or whatever. And check it. If it's got aphids, don't introduce it to your other plants. Don't use pesticides that will kill the beneficials in your landscape. Encourage the beneficials by having flowers, typically daisy-type flowers, Mm -hmm. uh, for them to feed on. Or others that we see, like bolting chard or lettuce or basil or something like that. Control the ants. And keep the dust down because beneficials don't like to do their thing in dusty places. They'll go elsewhere. It's easier.
0: Water is a powerful elixir because not only can you wash off the aphids, but you can wash off the dust and those plants you bring home from the nursery. Maybe before you plant them, rinse off, especially the underside of the leaves or the surface of the soil where eggs may be.
1: Right. The undersides of leaves is where many of the plant pests hang out. So that is definitely a place you need to look when you're examining your plants that you already have or the plants that you're bringing home. And space the plants correctly. You want to space them for their mature size. If it's going to be a three-foot plant, don't put anything closer than a foot and a half to any side of that plant. Beneficials, once the plants grow close together, the beneficials can't get in there and can't do their, their business. So that's prevent. Then you observe... So watch your plants. You can use a yellow sticky trap to collect the aphids or, uh, to see if you've got them. Uh, look for the honeydew. And if there's honeydew, you'll, might be sticky on the ground. It might be sticky on the leaves and honeydew often hosts black mold fungus. It's just fungus that grows on the surface. It doesn't directly harm the plant, but it obviously cuts the light off so the plant can't grow. But that's something you might see.
0: Aphids uh, go after a wide variety of plants, fruits, vegetables, ornamental plants.
1: They're pretty specific. One type of aphid, like the yellow aphid on Asclepia, which is milkweed, only gets on Asclepia, which is milkweed. And it's not the same aphid that's on, say, a crepe myrtle or that's on a rose. Those are different aphids, but they all act the same way.
0: What about mulches? And I'm thinking of silver-colored mulches, sort of like aluminum foil. I have heard that They won't land uh, on plants where they can't see the ground. If they look down and they see a reflection of the sky,
1: they'll keep moving. Right. They orient themselves using the sky. And so if there's a mulch there that looks like the sky, they get confused, (laughs) basically.
0: And I guess that silver mulch could also uh, maybe give you an earlier crop in in the case of food because it is providing some warmth for the soil.
1: It's trapping heat. Yes. Yeah. I would be concerned in a very high sun place like the southwest U.S. that you might get too much sun in the beginning. When when, when the plants are small and the mulch is reflecting a lot of light back up onto them, eventually the plants will, will shade the, the mulch. But to do that, you need to clean out your garden first. Yeah. And, and put down that mulch.
0: And it's sort of like using red plastic mulch around tomatoes. You will get an earlier crop, but you're sacrificing uh, tomato production later on.
1: And you're introducing a garbage, a, a plastic or a, yeah. a a waste into the yard that maybe
0: you don't need. All right. And we talked a little bit about chemical controls and the fact that there are so many general pesticides available. But again, the good guys are going to get it, get it just like the bad guys will get it. And oils are an interesting
1: idea, but you got to be wary of the weather Mm and using oils. Yes, you can cause spotting. You can cause damage on the leaves when you're using oils
0: and just like with insecticidal soap when it comes to using horticultural oils you want a commercially available product you don't want to be making homemade insecticidal soap you don't want to be making homemade
1: oils right then the soap is soap it's not detergent what we use in our kitchen and our laundry room and in our bathrooms is very often detergent not soap and detergent is much harder on plants it can damage plants
0: Really, just having the right plants in the right place, planting them correctly, taking care of them so they aren't stressed mm-hmm. is going to go a long way to uh, helping prevent pest problems.
1: That's very true. The first plant, often we get a question, I have a row of this tree. They're all the same. I planted them all the same time. They're all in the same place. They all get the same water, blah, 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 blah. One has a pest problem. Well, there's something stressing that one plant, the location, the the root system, something. the Insects go to the plant that's stressed.
0: And rule number one when it comes to battling pests is identify the pest. Yes. Yeah. Know what you're dealing with. We'll have links on today's show notes about aphids with great pictures of aphids so you have an idea of what you're going after. It's, it's still scary to me that an aphid can reproduce without mating. Yeah. And especially
1: if you have a greenhouse it's, be careful. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. So yeah, pictures of aphids. Well, you have pictures of cast skins. As aphids grow, they, like a snake, they have to get rid of their body skin and grow a new one. And so they leave little white specks on your plant, which is another sign of the plant. Uh, and the, uh, another one that you want to learn to, to be able to identify is called an aphid mummy. And that's mm-hmm. when the wasp has laid its egg inside the aphid and it blows up to this mm, egg-shaped, I'd say, little structure because uh, the wasp is growing inside the aphid.
0: Yeah, and and that new baby wasp then eats its way out of the aphid. Yeah, and and goes and kills other aphids. I've seen that movie. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. Um, That's amazing how nature can help you out in that situation. If you want to know you have an aphid situation, yellow sticky traps will let you know you have an issue. Right. They do
1: not solve the problem. You can look at them and see... Well, if you've got aphids. But in order to do that, to know what an aphid looks like on a yellow sticky trap. Yeah, everybody likes yellow. <laughs> yeah, don't wear yellow in the garden. Yeah. Well, be, yeah you can yeah. bring aphids from the land on you, and you can move them from place to place yourself if you're wearing yellow in the garden. Oh, my heavens.
0: I mean, if you want to, I guess you could soak that shirt
1: in Tanglefoot first, and then walk around the garden. <laughs> oh, yuck. <laughs> no, don't and you. trap them. Yeah. But yeah, there, there are several insects that will be attracted to a yellow sticky trap, you can buy them yellow sticky traps or you can buy plastic uh, yellow plates and put the tangle foot is the commercial one of the there's more than one or you can use Vaseline or you can use very thick uh, lubricating oil that's used in the auto industry, something that they will stick to, but the color yellow will still come out and put them in the garden. I This was a lab I did with the students, we'd make them and then they mm-hmm. send them home with those office black office clips, and they'd clip them to someplace in the garden, bring them back, and then we really need magnification to look at them. We used dissecting microscopes, but you can use a 10-power lens, and then you need a diagram of what they're going to look like what these insects are going to look like smashed on onto a yellow plate.
0: By the way, speaking of that, is that why you at all your outdoor dinner parties you use yellow <laughs> plastic plates? Trying to get the aphids out of the garden, you know. I'll try yes. anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you build up a nice collection of yellow plates. And yes, there you go. There's your future traps. There you well, go. One nice thing about the commercial aphid uh, yellow sticky traps is they're divided into grids. There's yes. a grid printed on it, so you can actually. Count the number of aphids that you have. And if you have, I would think, more than one per square, you've got a problem. Right. Numbers do matter. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Count them. Yellow sticky traps to monitor, blast of water to control, and encourage the beneficials by having lots of good bug hotels those members of the daisy family, especially, and maybe keep around some of your old vegetable plants that are starting to flower, because that attracts beneficials it as does. well.
1: Beneficials need to eat, too. And they need both a protein meal, which is the aphid, and they need a, a sugar meal, which is from the flowers.
0: Yeah, and a place to raise their young, right. too, other than the backside of aphids. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, aphid controls, it, it's a passing phase in that uh, eventually- If you just monitor the situation and you see the good guys, I wouldn't worry about the aphids. I'd give a chance for the good guys to do their job. Come back in a couple of weeks and see if you still have aphids. Right.
1: I don't know about a couple of weeks, but yeah. What would you do? I'd watch it every few days, Mm -hmm. see if I'm seeing damage. The damage would be distortion of the leaves as they and discoloration. And if it's tolerable, then do nothing. If it's not tolerable, then I get out the hose and spray them. Or if it's a really infested plant, you can cut off
0: the uh, infested portions of the plant.
1: Yes. There are certain plants that do get infestations regularly. We talked about the butterfly weed and I talked about the honeysuckle.
0: Maybe you just don't grow them. Yeah. Or put them in another part of your garden. Right. Where the plant might be happier. Aphids. They're here. We can learn to live with them with a little bit of control. Mm -hmm. We we can do this. Debbie Flower, thanks for your help on the aphid controls.
1: You're welcome, Fred. I'm
0: pretty picky about who I allow to advertise on this podcast. My criteria, though, is pretty simple. It has to be a product I like, a product I use, and a product I would buy again. And you know who checks all those boxes? It's SmartPots. SmartPots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. SmartPots are sold around the world, and they're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors and can be reused year after year. Some models even have handles, and that makes them a lot easier to move around the yard. Because the fabric breathes, smart pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for hot climates. That breathable fabric has other benefits, too. Water drainage issues? Not with smart pots. Roots that go round and round, choking the root ball like they do in plastic pots? Doesn't happen with smart pots. These benefits will help you get a bigger, better plant than what you've gotten in the past with the same size plastic or other hard container. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash fred. And don't forget that slash fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your SmartPot order by using the coupon code FRED. F-R-E-D. Use it at checkout from the SmartPot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of SmartPot's lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. SmartPots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com/fred. The occasional triple-digit daytime high temperatures are with us for another few weeks or so. And we've talked in the past about caring for your garden in a heat wave. But what about your backyard chickens? Laying hens especially can be adversely affected by summer heat waves. And now's the time to take a few precautions. That, according to Northern California-based urban chicken consultant Cherie Sentis-Glover.
2: When it comes to summer heat, that's what affects chickens more than anything. And that's because of a couple things. The first one is that chickens chickens actually have a higher body temperature so for them, when it gets to be in the 70s, that's probably the, just the absolute perfect temperature range for them. That's when they're the happiest. They're, the daylight hours are enough for them to generate you know, those eggs, and they're doing great. But once that temperature begins to rise and increase, and especially here where I am in the valley, we get temperatures of upwards uh, low 100s to 110, sometimes even 115 if you're up near the Chico area. And that is brutal. That's when you're actually going to have a chicken death on your hands. So the best way to prevent heat stress in chickens is you can do a couple things. Number one is avoid feeding treats like chicken scratch. That means like corn scratch, anything like that. Any of those carbohydrates are going to actually increase that chicken's body temperature so I have a strict rule in my backyard flock, which is no no scratch, no corn scratch during the summer months when it's basically over 85 degrees. Um, another thing you can do is have good airflow. You want there to be good ventilation. And chickens tend to reset their body temperature at night when the temperature is lower. Mm -hmm. So I actually have large box fans that are set up on a timer. And what that does is they switch on and off during the cooler hours of the early morning. And that allows that chicken to kind of reset and be able to handle it, especially if we go into day after day after day with those 100 degrees or more kind of temperatures outside. You also want to make sure your chickens have good, fresh, cool water. And use an electrolytes, they actually have, you know, powdered, basically it's powdered Gatorade for your chickens. They're called poultry electrolytes. You can find them at any poultry store or even on Amazon. And pick those up, add those to the waterers, but don't wait until it's 100 degrees, right? What you're going to do is be able to add that in a few days before. So watch your weather reports. When you know that a heat wave is coming, don't wait. Go ahead and start the birds on the electrolytes before that. And you just add them to the water, which which makes it super simple. And one last trick, and actually I learned this from someone who used to show rabbit. What you do is you take a two liter bottle or any kind of plastic bottle, you fill it up with water and you freeze it. And then what you can do is place those frozen water bottles inside your chicken coop. What's cool about it is not only will it provide a little bit of coolness when it evaporates, right, and starts to melt, but you'll find that your chickens will snuggle up next to that (laughs) frozen two liter water bottle. Um, just to help them cool off during the hottest parts of the day. And what's super great is that it doesn't create a mess, right? A lot of people want to go with misters, but I find that those end up creating pools of water that really aren't healthy for the birds to drink out of. And they tend to clog up, right? They're more more work than they're worth. So those would be my my biggest tips when it comes to um, eliminating or at least help preventing heat stress in your chickens.
0: And probably some shade too.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> forgot about the shade. Um, It's funny because to me, I'm like, shade is automatic. And that's partly for me as the chicken keeper, because I would not want to work with my chickens in the hot sun. But oh my gosh, yes, make sure they have good shaded area to go to. still gets really hot, even in the shade, but at least I'll provide them some protection from the sun. So a nice tree, shade cloth, you can set that up, anything you can do to help those chickens, especially in the late afternoon sun.
0: Find out more information at Cherie's website, ChickensForEggs.com Nothing scares me more than seeing a group of tree trimmers emerge from an unmarked truck and start pruning or removing the neighbor's trees. My fear? It's for the financial health of my neighbors. If those workers who may or may not be certified arborists are not currently licensed, bonded and insured, those neighbors just might be financially responsible if one of those workers is injured on their property or the tree trimming activity causes damage to their house or their neighbor's house or property. And the fact that everyone arrived in unmarked vehicles, well, that's a red flag. On Friday's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast, we find out more information to help you choose a qualified tree trimming firm or a tree removal firm, especially if your tree is a victim of a very common summertime occurrence, sudden limb failure, when big branches come crashing to the ground on a hot, non-windy afternoon. And yes, besides talking arborists, we'll have more information about this poorly understood problem of old large oaks, eucalyptus, elms, and ash trees. The key to reducing the chance of this happening on your property is to bring in an arborist for an evaluation before it happens, perhaps a consulting arborist. It's all part of Friday's Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast. Find a link in the newsletter in today's show notes or visit our website gardenbasics.net where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter delivered to your inbox each Friday morning. Also at GardenBasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the Garden Basics podcast, as well as read a transcript of the podcast episode you're listening to now. It's at GardenBasics.net. For current newsletter subscribers, look for all about arborists and sudden limb failure in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's coming out the morning of Friday, August 19th. You'll find it in your email. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's free. Find the link at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by SmartPots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, GardenBasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.